So this is going to be a bit of a different message tonight. Here's why. What we normally do, as you know, is we generally will go through books of the Bible or sections of books of the Bible or even like last week we taught catechism, but Deuteronomy 6 was our text. Tonight is going to be a little different because what I'm going to basically do is I'm going to preach to you this book right here. This book. In fact, this book right here. It's called How to Walk Into Church. That seems like a weird title, and it is. It's a provocative, like, what do you mean, how to walk into church? This book was not only so surprising to me as its content was so rich, but it's so good for every single Christian to know that I said, this is worth me creating a sermon out of. So I'm going to basically take this book and preach it to you right now. That's what's going to happen. And it's rooted in the Bible, as you'll see. So it's not like we're not going to go through text. We're going to go through a bunch of Hebrews. But when I'm reading, I'm generally going to be reading from this book. And I would highly recommend this book for you and for any Christian. Because most of us have church wrong from our past, from our present, and from our culture. We're not quite sure about church. And this is such a biblically rich, and especially for what we're trying to do, make disciples who make disciples, this is a fantastic book, worth a sermon. Okay, so rather than me saying, you guys got to read this book, and probably one of you will, I love you, but I just know that'll happen. I thought rather than that, let me just preach this book to you. So that's what's about to happen. Never done this before. I've never taken a book and preached a book. So let's pray right now that this goes well. Can we do that? I'm just prayerful. I've been praying all day as I've been preparing and, and studying and reading. And I'm just, God, please let this go well. So pray for yourself and pray for me now as we attempt something we've never done before. Father, thank you for this opportunity to walk through a really practical, a really helpful in training each of us what church is, how to approach the church gathering, how to approach pre-worship gathering and after worship gathering and fellowship time after and before. Father, all these are, are such valuable, valuable moments of our lives. We don't want to waste any of them and we don't want to think unbiblically about any of them. We are here for your glory, for your worship, and to be with you ultimately. And you have decided that we would gather in your presence with your people and that your people would benefit from being together as a body. So, Father, I pray that in these moments you would help me as I teach and preach. And I pray that you would help every person listening now to focus and to pay attention. And I pray that we would not get lost, but that we would be able to um, track with this message. Help us now, please, by your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name. Everyone said... Amen. So as I said, this is an unassuming, helpful, yet really powerful little book, How to Walk Into Church. Now, I'm going to talk right now from the book about five ways that we walk into church, and you're going to find yourself probably in one of these five little ways. So listen for you. Listen for you. Five ways to walk into church. In reality, there are countless different ways to walk into church. For example, 
If it's your first time walking into a particular church, then you might be wondering what sort of place it is, whether you'll recognize anyone, whether it will be possible to avoid that enthusiastic-looking usher making a beeline for you. That would be me in our context. I think I scare people. I'm like, vroom, to the new people, and they're like, You might walk in hesitantly or apprehensively with a murmuring hope that your heart will find answers today to the questions that haunt you. You might be walking into church for the first time in a very long time. There are people who that will be the case soon. Those people. might not be you tonight, but they're coming. God's preparing us for them. Number two, on the other hand, perhaps you walk into church every Sunday and for so many years that any sense of apprehension, expectancy, or searching has long since evaporated. Perhaps you walk into church with the same kind of resigned sag on your shoulders that you have when you walk into the office. You don't have high expectations. They're quite likely to be met as they were last week and the week before. Or perhaps you're walking to church will be like mine often was during those years when our five children were all under the age of 12. After a week of long days and short sleeps, followed by chaos of getting everyone out the door on a Sunday morning and culminating in a circus of noise and infighting in the car, I didn't really walk into church. It was more a stagger, followed by a semi-collapse into a seat, followed by a lengthy period of zoning out. That was me growing up in my house, for sure. Then again, some of us walk into church in a manner not too different from walking into a stadium or a shopping center or a movie theater. We walk into church expecting to participate in some large experience or to gain some tangible benefit, something that will inspire and uplift us, something that will help us in our lives and that will repay the investment we're making by being here on Sunday instead of sleeping in, assuming morning church. If you're still sleeping in for for this, there's a problem. Maybe skipping a nap. And fifthly, of course, many Christians also walk into church with a sense of joyful expectancy. Perhaps that is you most Sundays, or at least a decent number of them. You're looking forward to meeting with God and your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're looking forward to the warm encouragement you get just from being with them to the stimulation and challenge of the preaching, to the joy to sing together in praise of God and all that he has done. But most importantly, how you walk into church will be determined by what you think church is. What what do you think church is? And what you think you're doing there. If you think church is a bit like going to the movies, you might walk in expecting to be entertained or inspired. If you think church is an opportunity for personal devotion and worship, you'll probably walk in not wanting to interact too much with anyone else. If you think church is something you have to do in order to, quote-unquote, do the right thing, or to stay on God's good side, you'll walk in with the determination to do what needs to be done and then leave as soon as possible. But if you were to understand what the Bible says about church about what church is and why we go there and what we're supposed to do while we're there, then there is one particular way of walking into church that you would want to master. This way of walking into church beautifully expresses what church is 
and what it's meant to be and why we're all there or here. It is this. We should walk into church praying about where to sit. We should walk into church praying about where to sit. Praying about where to sit. I want you to think about this. What we're doing is we're acknowledging with prayer... What is prayer? Prayer is speaking to God. Who is God? God is the sovereign creator and sustainer of the universe in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's ruling and reigning. Listen, over all reality right now as we speak, even this room, even the rain falling outside the window. He's controlling what happens back there with the kids. He's controlling what you're receiving right now. And as you pray, what are you doing? You're acknowledging Him as sovereign Lord. You're saying, you're in control, God, not me. You're saying, this is about you, God. This isn't necessarily about me. Pray about where God wants you to sit. That's interesting. Why? Because prayer acknowledges God as sovereign. Prayer acknowledges that God is sovereign, ruling and reigning even over the regular weekly rhythm of our local church worship gathering. So do you think that God rules and reigns over what happens here week after week after week after week after week? Or do you think this is just something Eddie and I and all the setup team is just putting together? Some show? Or is, is God present and active and moving and about something in the world even though we're small in number, week after week? How do you see what happens here? Prayer is a, uh, praying about where to sit. We are also expressing our trust in God for what will happen in the worship gathering. So what does that mean? That means that we believe that when we're praying to God about the gathering and where you're to sit in the gathering, that'll, that'll come clearer as we move forward. You're saying to God, God, you're up to something tonight in our context. What are you up to, God? What do you have, not only for me, but then for those around me? And what do you have for those around me through me? Do you believe that God is up to something every single time we gather? Is God up to something or not? What do you think? Is he sovereign over all the affairs of every single Sunday night, week in, week out, month after month, year after year, decade after decade? Or is it just something that Christians do? When we pray, we are putting ourselves in the right frame of mind towards each other. Now, this is important, guys. We have started to think about church as being about someone other than me. So let's imagine you're walking from the car to the parking lot and now you begin to practice this. You're like, God, where do you want me to sit? Now, why would that have significance? That would have significance because who you sit next to will be who you interact with during the message, during the singing, during the prayer, during the offering, and during all the activities that are worship unto God in these moments of worship gathering. And if God would have you maybe to sit next to someone different? That might be for a purpose. He might have something larger in mind than you. You might be thinking, 
I really need to hear from God tonight. But maybe God's thinking that someone else needs to hear from you, but from God through you. And you need to actually sit next to them, maybe. When we pray about where to sit, we're trusting that what we do at church really matters. Now here's the question, guys. Do do these moments matter in the grand scheme of things, or do they not matter? That's the question we need to ask ourselves. So, for example, it matters that the Penguins won the Stanley Cup. Like, it matters, right? 2015, 20, or I'm sorry, 16 and 17, dual years winning the Cup, big parade, you know. But, but do these moments matter more? Will we be speaking about 2016 and 17 Cup wins in Pittsburgh for all eternity? Or would we possibly be talking about what God did tonight for you and for those around you in eternity? That's a real possibility that these moments can affect eternity. Billions upon billions of years. You think in a couple billion years you're going to be like, hey, remember when the Pens won the Cup in 2017? That was awesome. Uh, Now, I'm I'm not disrespecting Hockey lovers, or I'm glad that the Penguins won the cup. I'm saying, as far as eternity goes, guys, these are the mattering moments. Do you believe that? Do you believe that these moments matter for eternity? God has something important for us to do. In particular, someone he wants us to sit next to, talk with, listen to, pray for, and encourage. So I think at this moment we should just pause before we move to what is church and say, could it be possible that God has something bigger in these moments than just you? Is that possible? And could it be possible that God has something bigger than just you, but to come through you for someone else that matters for eternity? Listen, guys, these are the mattering moments where God wants to use you and me to affect eternity in people's lives. That's massive if we will let that land on us in truth. We're going to talk about Hebrews 10, 19, and 20 for just a moment, but what is church? The word church means gathering or assembled people. It means the called out ones, but it's not just called out individuals. Like, you're not the church. I'm not the church. The church is the people of God gathered. And gathered very specifically, not like gathered for grandes at Starbucks. Gathered for the singing. Gathered for the sacraments. Gathered for the preaching of the word. Gathered for fellowship. It's a worship gathering on the Lord's day. Now for a lot of people, we know, Sunday is what? My day. Like, I've heard this so many times, inviting people to church. Well, Sunday's my only day. Well, John says in Revelation that Sunday is the Lord's day, not your day. It's not the Sabbath, but it's the Lord's day. And what do we do on the Lord's day? We gather for worship with the church. That's what we do. Because it's the resurrection day. And so on resurrection Sunday, the Lord's day, the church gathers, the people of God are gathered for what? We're gathered to be in God's presence, guys. Now, this part is hard for us to believe at times because the normalness of Sundays 
feels so normal that it doesn't feel spiritual at all. Sometimes. There's a normalness to it. There's a a song. There's a prayer. There's there's an offering. There's the kids going back. There's the the preaching part. And then, you know, afterward we clean up the chairs. and, And there's a normalness to it. And so we don't feel like this is spiritual. We don't feel like we're engaging with God at times. And we don't feel like these are eternal, mattering things. But listen, if we believe the Bible, these moments matter eternally. So let's look very quickly at Hebrews 10, 19 to 22. God has called us to come meet with him together, and he himself has made that way possible by taking care of our sin that once kept us from his presence. Okay, you need to see that. So what is a church gathering? It's the called out ones from the world, called out from darkness to light, and now we are gathering together on the Lord's day, and it's an assembly of God's people. But who has called the assembly, and what is the assembly doing? God has called the assembly, and we're in God's presence for God's worship. This is, this is very mattering. This is very weighty. Hebrews 10, 19-22 says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let's stop there, the holy place would have been the temple. In Old Testament times, only those who were purified and gone through much rituals and cleansings could enter the holy places. And then the most holy place, which was a cube where the Ark of the Covenant stayed within uh, the Ten Commandments kept in it. And God's presence literally physically dwelt in the Holy of Holies. And only one person could go in there, but once a year it was the high priest on the Day of Atonement. And it was to atone for the sins of the people. And so, we have confidence to enter the holy places. Who's we? Us. This chapter 10 of Hebrews is talking about the church. So, do you believe that this right now is entering the holy place? What's the holy place? It's the presence of God. How do we enter the presence of God, which would be the holy place, by the blood of Jesus? The the book of Hebrews is all about how the Old Testament system of sacrifice, which forgave sin and brought us close to God, has now been fulfilled completely in Jesus. And so no longer blood of bulls and goats and animals can take care of sin, but rather now it's the blood of Jesus. So as the high priest used to enter into the most holy place, but once a year to make atonement, Jesus entered the most holy place and made atonement for us. Verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain. The curtain is the curtain that walled off the holy of holies. That is through his flesh. That's the flesh of Jesus. That's the blood of Jesus. How did we enter into the presence of God? Through the flesh of Jesus, his body broken, his blood shed. Verse 21, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Now, confusion enters at this point. Church buildings are not the house of God. Please. I've heard it so many times. I I love the people who have that misunderstanding, but it really hinders our theology when we imagine church buildings as little places where God dwells. 
Buildings are buildings. The only thing that makes this space right now sacred, listen, is us here gathered for worship. And that makes this space holy. Do you believe that? Or do you need a church building to experience God's presence and His power and His might? So the house of God is literally the entire earth. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all the people that dwell therein. But listen, when the church gathers, you remember the church discipline passage in Matthew? He said, when two or more are gathered, what? There I am in the midst. You see, why? Because in Corinthians, we learn that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we gather, we are God's house. We are not the building, guys. We become the place where God dwells, and when we come together, together God is present with us. Let us draw near, where? To God, with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So, the, the washings of the Old Testament, the cleansing of blood sprinkling, this is all pictured here now in heart. See, let us draw near with a true heart. That's your most inward being. We talk about the heart every week. Your, your motivation center. The youest you. With our hearts sprinkled clean, so our inwardness, the, the, the core of you is now clean. Washed from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, we're clean, guys. Do you see yourself as dirty and stained and guilty and defiled? Or do you remind yourself that you are cleansed in Christ? I don't know about you, but I wake up almost every single morning with not bright thoughts of gospel in my head. I wake up with very negative and dark thoughts and condemning thoughts, and they come down on me the moment I wake up. And you know what needs to happen immediately? You need to fight. I need to fight with what? With these kinds of truths. Though I am a sinner, I am at the same time righteous. Why? Not because I'm actually righteous, but because Christ is in my place. Even though I am guilty, I am not guilty in Christ. And when I truly have that land on my heart, it inspires me and enables me to resist sin and temptation. When I realize I am clean, I want to be clean. When I realize I am not guilty, I want to actually be not guilty. When I realize I am righteous, I actually want to live and be righteous. Friends, these truths you must remind yourself of regularly, but you need to see this. In this context, the holy place is God's presence. We come into God's presence by the blood of Christ, and here we are assembled. We are the church for the worship of God. Church is not another instance of the vain human attempt to do something that gains favor with God. Although sadly, some churches seem to operate as if that is the case. If not even the sacrifices of the God-given Old Covenant offered year after year could really deal with sin, then what hope do we have of coming up with some sort of religious event or set of practices that will satisfy God and earn His blessing? We can't do it. And we don't need to. 
Jesus has already done it all. We don't need human priests or mediators or activities to get us to God or to usher us into his presence. That has all been done already by our great high priest who is over the house of God. Through him, we have been granted access to the very throne room of God. The very throne room of God. God's ultimate purpose is not just to save us, but to save a whole multitude of peoples who truly are our family. We do not stand alone as forgiven sinners, but we stand with the people of God. That's really important, guys. So we often, and it's our culture, it's our individualistic culture, we often think of God saved me. He did save you. But listen, he saved you into a body. We don't stand alone. We stand as Christians united and as an expression of the body of Christ, we stand united as this local church. We are a together in God's presence. So as I go into God's presence, so does Jamal with me. As I go into God's presence here, so does Eddie with me. As I go into God's presence, so does Crystal with me. We go into God's presence together, guys. Do you realize that's what's happening even now in these moments? Right now. Not because of us, but listen, because of the blood of Christ. Through his flesh curtain, through his blood, we enter into the presence of God. We need to wake up, oh God, wake us up to what's really going on on these Sunday nights. It's bigger than any of us can imagine. Let's look at Hebrews 12 very quickly. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God. So now we're talking about Jerusalem, but not just Jerusalem in the Middle East, but the city of the living God. That's the new Jerusalem. In fact, that's what this church is named after. Eternal City Church is the city of the new heavens and the new earth, the capital city. So when we think about our church, we're thinking about new heavens, new earth, capital city, new Jerusalem. Inside our logo, it's, there is some significance to Pittsburgh being inside there because we're living for this city, but ultimately for that city. We're serving this city to populate that city, guys. You have not come to Mount Zion, but you have come to Mount Zion. Before this in Hebrews 12, it was talking about Mount Sinai. Smoke, lightning, fear, even Moses said, I tremble. But we have not come to Mount Sinai where the law is and where God is angry and where the mountain is shaking and if even a beast touches it, it is killed. No, we have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering. Now, we get nervous when we think about angels, but listen, they're people without bodies. What is a spirit? My daughter and I go over these basic theological things all the time. We did it today. Again, what is an angel? It's a person without a body. What is, what is God the Father? Is he a person? Does he have a body? Well, he has something rather than nothing, but he's a spirit. He's a person without a body. Listen, this is saying that there is an innumerable amount of angels in festal gathering. That means excited gathering. People without bodies that you can talk to and they can talk back to you. And then the writer of Hebrews later says, be careful to entertain strangers because in doing so, some have entertained angels. Angels are a reality. They're not a fantasy. 
And the idea here is, in the presence of God, there is this massive worship gathering happening. And we're headed there. And to the assembly of the... That word assembly, guess what it can be translated as? Church. It's the same word. So here's us with the angels in festal gathering, worshiping. What are we worshiping? It's the gathering of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. That's very Revelation 20, 11 to 15. I saw the books and the dead and the names were written in the books. Like There's a book called the Lamb's Book of Life and we're in there. The roles of heaven. And to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That means all, the, all those who have gone before us who do not yet have their resurrected bodies, they are the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Where's their bodies? They're still here buried in the ground. They're naked in that sense. Paul says we don't want to be unclothed. We have this tent, but we don't want to be naked. We want our bodies. But if you die tonight and if I die tonight and you're a Christian, you're going to be naked. Your spirit will be with God and you'll be finally made righteous. That will be an amazing thing. But your body will stay here and you'll be a spirit without a body, like an angel. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The point here is there is a massive worship gathering happening right now in heaven. And if you or I die tonight, we get to go join that massive worship gathering, which would be fantastic. But listen to this. Now, this assembly is spiritual and heavenly, just as our current relationship with God is. But it is no less real for being so. And there will come a time when this spiritual reality becomes visible for all to see at the end of time. When the heavenly Jerusalem comes down to earth, when God makes everything new, and when Jesus returns to rule in a new creation. Because we are now, listen closely, because we are now God's forgiven, redeemed children through Christ, and now have access to this heavenly throne, and now have a guaranteed place in this eternal kingdom, on the basis of all these wonderful spiritual realities, God calls us to live a completely different life day to day, not to earn His grace, but because His grace has already been showered on us. So what are we walking into right now? Like, you've all walked in here. What are we walking into? When we walk into church each week, we are walking into a gathering that God himself has called together as part of his majestic plan to save and gather his people around the Lord Jesus Christ. We are walking into an outpost or foretaste of the great spiritual heavenly assemble of God. This. Listen, this is a reality in heaven right now. We are a picture, though a very poor picture, of what's happening right now in heaven. The same things are happening. Worship of God, being in His presence, enjoying Him, loving Him. Yet there without sin, we still have the, the drag of sin on us. Now, let's talk about why am I walking into church? Why am I walking into church? We belong together around God. We are a family and it's a family worshiping get-together. So why am I walking in the church? Listen, you're walking in the church because this is your family. God is your father. Jesus is your big brother. These are your brothers and sisters around you. 
That's the truth. When Jesus was approached by his blood family, they thought he'd gone mad. He's claiming to be the Messiah. He's, your mother and your brother are looking for you. And just before that in Mark, his family says he's gone mad. They think he's crazy. They're going to come bring him in. He's got messianic delusions. And what does Jesus say? Do you remember any of you? He points around to his disciples who are in around him in a circle. And he says, these, these are my mother and my brothers. That has to mean that, listen, friends, these friends around you right now are closer than your blood family. The people sitting in this gathering right now with you are closer to you than your blood family. And some of you just don't believe it. Or you reject it. But listen, this family will outlast our earthly families. We grieve over our unbelieving brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, children, some of us. But listen, this is the family that will last forever. And that's why Jesus can say crazy things like, he who's left mother and brother and husband and wife and children and houses and lands will receive a hundred times as much in this life and the life to come. What does that mean? It means now I have a hundred mothers when physically I have one mother. Because in the church, I have a lot of older women who are looking out for me and loving me and care about me. I have three siblings, one sister, two brothers. But listen, in this room alone, I have a bunch of brothers and sisters. Some of them are little ones. Some of them are my age. Some of them are older than me. And so do you. Do you see the church as a family gathering week by week by week? Do you see it that way? You should. We are gathering to worship our Father, and you're gathering with your brothers and sisters. That's the spiritual reality. And to Jesus, it's more real than Mary and Jude and Joseph being his brothers. His spiritual brothers, James. James becomes his spiritual brother as well. Okay, why am I walking into church? Family, worship, gathering. Quickly, Hebrews 10, 24. This is another why. Guys, this is it. Let us consider... Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. So now I'm considering, that's a thinking thing, and I'm considering about you. Not about me. Consider how to stir up one another. That's you, not me. And if it's you, it's me. That makes sense? Oh, yeah. For what? To love God more and people more and for good works. We're thinking, we're meditating about how we can stir one another up to love God more and to love people more and to engage in good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. So we all know people who make it their habit, though they say they're Christians, they never show up at a worship gathering. I love Jesus, I just hate the church. Well, John and 1 John would seem to disagree. He would say, how can you love God whom you've not seen if you can't love your neighbor whom you have seen? I understand why people say that they've been deeply hurt by the church and we need to get in there and do some soul care and some help and some apologetics to get them back into the church. Relational apologetics. 
Say, come back in. Because we are not to neglect the meeting together, as is the habit of some. But what? But encourage one another and all the more as you see the day, capital D, drawing near. What's that? That's judgment day. Whenever you see the day, and listen, day by day, the day is drawing near. Every day is a day closer. And so as we move through day after day after day, we need to all the more encourage one another to love and good works. How are we going to do that if we never see each other? So yes, this is an argument from the writer of Hebrews to come to worship gatherings on the Lord's Day on Sunday. But listen, it's also an admonition to be on the phone with your brothers and sisters, to be meeting weekly with them, to be going out for lunch and coffee, to be just meeting all the time. For what? To consider how we can stir one another up to love and good works. So this command, which we are to follow, is to not neglect meeting together. It's a clear command. This is why Christians need their regular meetings. Listen to this. Like alcoholics need theirs. I've been in those rooms. Court-ordered. We need to get together with our fellow reformed rebels and say, Hi, my name's Chris, and I'm a forgiven sinner whose confidence is in my Lord and Master Jesus Christ. And like alcoholics, we need mentors and coaches alongside us saying, Keep going. Don't go back to sin. You know it's no good for you. Keep your eyes on the goal. Listen, I know meeting people, and some of them go three times, four times a day because they need it. And we're like, yeah, I'll go once or twice a month to church if I can get there. Which shows you don't think you need to be here. If gospel-centered community for you, and I'm not picking on anyone in here, so don't hear me pointing at you, I'm not. If it's not important to you, you just don't understand what's at stake. If it's not important to you, you think you're okay on your own and you don't need stirred up and encouraged. You don't need your brothers and sisters. You need them desperately. More than you realize. Don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know 1 Corinthians, um, well, here it is right here. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. But wait a minute. Take care, brothers? That's Christian. Lest there be in you an evil and unbelieving heart. How is that possible? How can you be a brother, a believer, and have an evil, unbelieving heart that leads you to fall away from the living God? But exhort one another every day, as every day. Every day, as long as it's called today, that, no, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So here's the deal. Sin has a hardening effect on your heart. Your heart is what controls your actions, your wants, your desires. Sin has the ability to harden you so much so that you can be given over to the deceitfulness of sin. And it's now enjoyable to you. And it's hard for us to pull you away from it because you've been hardened. Listen, guys, we want to have soft hearts when it comes to our brothers and sisters compelling us to run from sin. This verse is not saying you can lose your salvation. This verse is warning you that even though you're a believer, you can have a hard and unbelieving heart when it comes to sin. 
And you can defend your sin, and you can be angry at the person pointing out your sin, and you can say, I'm not talking to you ever again. Meanwhile, they're trying to help you because sin is so deceitful, it can harden you and make you become unbelieving, not in a lose-your-salvation sense, but in a you-need-saved sense from your sin. Not from hell, not from punishment. That's already happened. But listen, you need saved from your sin. I need saved from my sin. There is a present salvation that's happening to us, guys. That's what Ephesians, or I'm sorry, that's what Philippians 2, 13 and 14 is talking about. Okay. I don't mean to pound you. I just, please, please see the importance of this. Do you see what's at stake? The meeting together regularly has a purpose more than just re- meeting together regularly. It's so that we do not become hardened and unbelieving in heart and callous towards sin. And it shows that you actually care. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 is all about the church. I don't know if you've read it, but it's about the Corinthian church and they're a mess and Paul is instructing them. And 12 is all about the body. You're the body and you're individually members of it. And, but in, right in the middle of 12 to 14, we know 13, right? 13 has the description of love, the best and most precise description of love in all of the Bible. And as it's been instructed to me, I would instruct it to you. When you read that love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, put your name in there before every one of those characteristics and see how you measure up. Chris is patient. Chris is kind. He doesn't envy. He doesn't boast. He's not easily angered. He's not rude. Put yourself in there and then pretend you're a loving person. Listen, that Corinthians 13 will show you yourself in the mirror. And we need to stop playing with ourselves, pretending that we're more loving than we actually are. Imagining ourselves more righteous and holy and shiny than we actually are. So that we might then engage with others and say, help me, I've been deceived. Okay. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast. It's not arrogant, it's not rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable. You kidding me? So when I'm being irritable, I'm not being loving? Yes. Yes. The moment you're irritable, you are now not loving. And listen, if love's the greatest commandment towards God and others, that means you may be in sin far more than you think you are, friends. You may be more desperate for the grace of God than you even realize. Because listen, I didn't say to love is down here on the command scale. It's the greatest command Loving God and loving others is the greatest. It sums up the law and the prophets. It doesn't get irritable. It's not resentful. Do you resent people? It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. Do you celebrate when others do something wrong? If they get in trouble or caught? Like, yes. It rejoices with truth. Now here's what it does. It rejoices with truth. It bears all things. That means to put it on your back and bear it. I'll take that. I'll carry that for you. It believes all things. Love love does this. It says, I will assume the best about you. 
It assumes good motives instead of automatically assuming bad motives. It believes all things. It hopes all things. Man, I have hope for this person. Rather than they'll never change. Or they're hopeless. Or I'm done with them. Rather, love says, I will hope for you. And I will engage you because I hope, I have hope that you will change. It endures all things. So listen, this is, this is a beautiful verse at weddings. But this condemns every one of us. If this is really what love is, and it's a picture of Christ, as you know. Christ is patient. Christ is kind. He doesn't envy. He doesn't boast. He's not arrogant. He's not rude. He doesn't insist on his own way. He's not irritable. He's not resentful. He doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. Christ rejoices with the truth. He bears all things in love. He believes all things. He hopes all things. He endures all things. So prayerfully, yet thankfully, this is ours in Christ. Listen, let's see it worked out in our living. Because when the world looks in at the love we have for one another, the love will look like this. They'll say, those are Jesus' disciples. When this is happening, friends, how's this going to happen if we're not regularly gathering, regularly encouraging one another, regularly thinking about how to stir one another up towards this love and good deeds? It's not going to happen. Before I walk into church, all right, we're going to move really fast now. Before I walk into church. Before you walk into church, these three things need to happen. You need to decide, I'm going to go to church ahead of time and just commit. Listen, many of us, we haven't even made it to number one. We're like, I'll go if I can. I'll go if I feel like it. I'll go if... Listen, go. I'm going. I'm committing. Now listen, I get it. If you're sick, I get it. You guys were sick last week. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, man, the game's on. Like something better pops up. And you're like... No, like, I get it. You go on vacation once or twice a year. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you making it such a priority that for this hour, hour and a half, two hours, if it goes really long, it rarely does, you're going to be here because it's important to you. Just like you're going to be at your job because it's important to you, because you want your paycheck. Importance to you will be shown by you showing up. Now, you guys show up, so I'm kind of not talking to you. I'm talking to everyone who's not here. I'm preaching to the choir right now. Show up. You're like, we do every week. I know you do. I love you. I'm not talking to you. Pray. Listen, before you show up, friends, you need to pray about coming into here. Do you pray about showing up here? Listen, do you pray before you get here? Do you pray on the way here? Do you pray as you're walking in here? Do you pray beforehand? Because prayer acknowledges, God, you're here. You're doing something. You're up to something. What do you want to do in me and through me? Are you going to pray? So here's the go. I love this paragraph. i got to read it. In reality, what really stops many of us from turning up more frequently to church is a failure to grasp just how vital the ministry of turning up is. Have you ever thought of you coming and turning up as actually a ministry? It is. Here's why. One of the most important acts of love and encouragement we can engage in is the powerful encouragement of just being there. 
Because every time I walk into church, I'm wearing a metaphorical t-shirt that says God is important to me and you are important to me. Important enough for me to show up. You are important to me. And on the back it says, and that's why I wouldn't dream of missing this. Similarly, when we stay away for no good reason, one week out of three or more, we send the opposite message. Now, friends, I love the people that show up once a year. <laughs> and I'm like, yo, good to see you. But, but listen, when we show up every week, we're saying, this is important to me, and you are important to me. Have you thought about that? Like, just you showing up as you saying, this is important, and you were important. When you pray, since God is in charge of the church, as he is in charge of everything, he is the one to go to when we want our time at church to be fruitful and encouraging and God-glorifying. Not only for ourselves, but also for the whole church family. There's so much to pray for. We should pray that God would bring the strugglers into the gathering. There's people who struggle to get here. Pray God brings them. There's people you've been inviting and they haven't been coming. Pray that God brings us, the church, into the gathering. Pray, please. Pray that God would be present to move in power during the gathering. Pray that God would give you opportunity to talk with someone here and maybe even pray with them. Will you pray ahead of time, Father, when I, when I go to Eternal City tonight, when I gather with Eternal City is a better way to say it, would you give me the gift of talking with someone about you and encouraging them and maybe even praying for them? The last time George Scipioni was here, I, I watched him. I don't know if you did, but, but I noticed him praying for these people over here afterward, and he's praying and talking and encouraging over here. He's back here sharing scripture. I'm like, this dude, please come be an elder here, brother. Please. Like he's just ministering after he got done preaching. Then he did the Q&A. Now he's on the floor just ministering to everybody. Listen, we can all do that, guys. Everyone here needs God more and Him to move in their lives. And if you're like, there's no one here, come talk to me, man. But Chris, how can I pray for you, bro? I'm like, oh, thank you. There's someone here that needs you to talk to them and pray with them and pray for them. And then lastly, think. So th this is something I am committed to doing better on. I want to get you ahead of time what is coming for the next week and the next week and the next week. I'd like to have it six months out. You know exactly what's coming six months ahead of time so that you can do your homework before you show up. Now, when we go through James or we go through the Sermon on the Mount, you, you know. Like if we just did Matthew 5, 1 to 5, you know 6 to something is coming. But I want to be so organized, oh God, please, that we can have everything laid out at least six months ahead of time, text and resources and everything, and then have that emailed to you so you can think before you get here. So that you're already engaged before you get here. What about after you walk into church? So now you're here. And these are going to move really fast now. After you get into church. So that's the right now. What do you do right now during the worship gathering? Well, Here's what you can do. You can sing loudly and enthusiastically. Do you know how encouraging it is to me when I sit up front and I can actually hear some of you singing? It encourages me to sing louder. 
But if the thought enters my head, I'm the only one singing here. It makes my volume and enthusiasm go down. But, but when, I, when I hear Eddie singing and some female voice behind me, I don't know who it is, but I hear them, I'm like, we're engaged. I love it. Listen, I love it. It terrifies some of you. I love it when some of our songs, the music drops out and just the voices are there. And then I'm, I'm tempted in that moment to say, I'm going to get real quiet right now so no one can hear my terrible singing. <laughs> but instead, I'm like, I don't care. And, and I can hear you singing. And listen, that encourages my heart. And I can only imagine it does the same to those around us. But listen, when the singing is happening and we're just like, like, man, when's this going to end? I hate this song. Like, that is not worship to God and it's not encouraging to anyone else. So what can you do while you're here? You can actually sing and sing loudly and sing even if you can't sing. I'm with you. I can't sing. I'm terrible. But I sing. So you can sing. What else can you do? Well, you can Pay attention during the message. Listen, you, you don't understand what it's like when you're up here, some of you do, and you look out, and I can tell who's with me and who's not. And I feed off you. If everyone is, is so distracted, and it happens some weeks, it is literally hard for me to get through the message. Because you're looking over here, you're looking over there, things are happening back here, people are moving around. It is, it is almost impossible to get through. Because I'm looking at you, and you're looking everywhere else. But then there's some nights, like right now, where you're all looking right at me, you're engaged, and I can see what's going on. Like last week, there was a couple new people here, and I could just tell, I could feel the one guy. Like he was so uncomfortable, he just wanted to get up and get out. He was fidgeting, he was moving, he was talking to his neighbor. But I can feel everything that's going on here. And listen, so, so let, let's not just think about me, the preacher, but let's think about those in front of you. If, if you're like getting out loud things out of your purse and like, like that is distracting everybody behind you. And if I look over at so-and-so and they're like looking at Facebook, I'm like, yo, and now I'm not paying attention because I'm paying attention to you looking at Facebook. But if I look over to you to see if you're paying attention, now you're engaged. I'm like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm engaged too. It encourages me to refocus if you're focused, right? But if you're on your phone and I see pictures, I'm like, what is that? Whose wedding is that? Like, now I'm not paying attention because I'm looking at your social media. Like, if you're wrestling in the seat there, people in front of you can hear you wrestling. So what can you do during the game? Now, this is a long message. I apologize. It's long. It has to be. I'm preaching through a book. But listen, it matters how you do this right now. It matters a lot. When we had the baptism, Gus and Dominic, I've never seen so many people engaged and focused like lasers. It was incredible. And it made my level of enthusiasm grow. I was like, not only are they with me, but God is here in a unique way. Now, God has to do what we're talking about. Okay? But I just want you to know it matters while you're here how you listen to the message, how you sing. And then lastly, how you treat newcomers matters, friends. 
Listen, if we really are a family reunion every week, then when a new person walks in, they're our guests, and they are people who we need to make feel welcomed. What we never want to do is make someone feel, we would never say this to them, but we never want to make people feel, you're an outsider, we're all obviously the insiders. People can feel that. You know what it's like to go to a gathering of people, even some of you, it's your own family, and you're like, I'm not welcome here. I feel it. We never want that to be the case when new people come into our family gatherings here. And we, what we want to say to them is, you can be a part of this family. We really would love that. That's what we want them to feel. Not only welcome, but that we actually want them to come and be a part of the family. The family of God, if they're not Christians, and if they are Christians, we want you to, to become a part here. We would like to love on you and have you love on us. That would be fantastic. Okay, lastly, how to walk out of church. This is good stuff too. Before we move there, because this is the last thing, before we move there, I, I just want to say this. Some of you are terrified of talking to people. Like, people freak you out. I know, it's you, Gus. I, I, I just want to give you a little bit of help. Listen, you can talk to people, and here's how. You can ask them questions. And more than likely, people will answer the questions you ask. Oh, if you don't know them, hi, what's your name? Where do you live? Oh, have you been to church before? Where have you gone to church before? Oh, is this, what did you think of the sermon? Like, what did you think of the people? Tell me your story. How'd you become a Christian? I love hearing those kind of stories. And you can just ask, 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 ask. Now listen, if you've asked about 20 questions, they're all no, yes, no, yes. I think you, you have permission to then say, okay, it was good talking to you. <laughs> and walk away. But listen, the same principle goes for everyone else in here. What have you been reading? What, what are you thinking about? What's going on in your life? How can I pray for you? You could, you could literally do this. Listen, you could, I could walk up to Evan after gathering, which I might be waiting, and say, Evan, give me two things I could pray for you, bro. And, and now he's going to all of a sudden be thinking, okay, what, what are two things he could pray for me? And you've just engaged your brother. I've just engaged my brother. But if you stand across the room and you're like, I don't know what to say, I don't know what I would say, it'll just be weird and awkward and I'll look at the ground and, no. You can walk up to them and say, hey, how you doing? Give them a hug. Like, I'd love to pray for you. Give me two things. Like, no one's going to be like, prayer, stiff arm. No one's going to do that. They're going to be like, sure, I'd love for you to pray with me. And you can go into God's presence together. Okay, so, so please, get good at asking questions, guys. The art of conversation literally takes you asking good questions. You being able to basically interview people. That's how it works. And most people are comfortable talking about themselves and their hobbies and what they like and what they're reading and what they've been thinking about and how their day went. But like, you just ask them questions about them and most people are going to talk to you. One more thing before we go to this. Please. This is my only opportunity to do this kind of stuff. I'm training you. Okay. When, when I'm up here talking to someone, and you guys all know the one guy who loves to talk to me when he comes, I can't help but survey and see what is going on. 
And it hurts my heart when I see one or two people or like one person off to the side and no one's talking to them. And yet we have all these other conversations. And I'm thinking to myself, how can I get out of this conversation? Because I've been talking to you for an hour and a half. And go talk to that person who is lonely in the corner. Can you do me a huge favor, one of you? If you see someone over in the corner by themselves, will you please go talk to them for me if I'm tied up? Please? Jamal, you got me? Okay. If it's Jamal lonely in the corner, Eddie, you got me? Okay. Last slide. How to walk out of church. Listen, guys, I'm telling you, the conversations... All right, one more thing. I'm sorry. When we used to do the Panera Bread Bible studies, I loved the after Bible study party, we used to call it, as much as the part where we were expounding the Romans text. Because there was ministry happening there, but then there was ministry happening afterward. People were being prayed for. People were being encouraged. People were being counseled with the Bible. People were being uh, encouraged to love and good deeds. That could be, so the ministry doesn't stop when I say amen, I love you guys. It doesn't stop. It can and should continue. Now it's your turn. So I guess that bears the question, do you see this as you participating or spectating or observing? Are you a participator here in the ministry or are you a spectator of the ministry? Maybe you need to change how you see yourself. I'm going as a minister, as a disciple maker, to help make disciples of my brothers and sisters in Christ. Who can I minister to tonight? That'd be a good question for you to ask. Okay. Lastly, how to walk out of church. The wise would say, I'm sorry, the wise way would be to walk out of church with the word of God on our lips and in our hearts, ready to submit every part of our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we should walk out of our local churches encouraged and stirred up to love and good deeds, as Hebrews 10 puts it ready to live for Christ and speak for Christ in every facet and sphere of our lives, in our ongoing relationships with our church family, as we continue to care for each other, pray for each other, and meet in smaller groups, one-to-ones, marriages, families, and in our workplaces, and in the wider world of relationships in our neighborhoods and communities and society. This is how God wants us to walk. Walking is a way of life. Walk not as unwise, but wise. Walk by the Spirit, not by the flesh. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God prepared good works for us to walk in beforehand. He has stuff for you. Now, All that we talked about tonight would not even be possible unless it was for Christ. Christ is our entrance into 
His body. His blood shed forgives us our sins, enables us to go into God's presence. His calling by His Spirit brings us into the family. It gives us newness of life, new life from spiritual death. We are, friends, forgiven, washed, clean, and have access into the presence of God whenever we want. So we're going to celebrate that now with communion. But listen, realize what's happening. We are communing with God through the blood and body of Jesus Christ. But listen, it's not just you and God. It's you and us together celebrating what God has done for each one of us. So as I remember Jesus' body broken for me, I'm also remembering Jesus' body broken for Leanne. As I drink and remember Jesus' cleansing blood, cleansing me, I'm remembering His cleansing blood also for Crystal. We're together. We're communing with God together as His church, guys. 